As you know, we're currently in a series on the most famous sermon that Jesus ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount. And we've been calling it the best sermon ever because Jesus is the one that preached it. And we are actually in week 11 of the series. Uh, man, just time flies when you're having fun. Matthew chapter 7. Now, if you grew up in a church like I did or, or in church like I did, then you know that um, there are things that Christians here in church or on Christian radio or on Christian TV or whatever it looks like that are just kind of urban legends. They're like Sunday school myths. They're, they're, they're things, well, let's call them dumb things that, that smart Christians believe or that we've heard and, and we put them into our belief pattern system. And uh, matter of fact, let me give you a couple of them. Uh, here's one. God will never give you more than you can handle. All right, that's not true. Matter of fact, I think Paul did a message on that a couple years ago, a real good one, and uh, you can pull that one back up because that's just not true. Sometimes God will give you more than you can handle, so you'll run to Jesus. Um, here's another one. A godly home guarantees godly kids. Nope. If you're in a valley, then you've made a wrong turn. No, sometimes you're just in a valley. All right? Or that if you have your quiet time every morning, you're going to have a good day. There have been mornings I've spent just an hour with God, praying. So I have a cruddy day after that. It's crazy how that happens sometimes. I just respond to the day better. Or everyone goes to a better place when they die. No, they don't. Some, you, you die without Jesus, you don't go to a better place. Well, this, morning, this morning's topic is, is one of those urban legends that has gotten around, thrown around in Christian circles that... Um, and it's actually become quite popular in culture today. You see it all over social media. Um, it's the myth that Christians shouldn't judge. The myth that Christians shouldn't judge. If you've ever wondered where this myth comes from, it actually comes from this morning's passage of Scripture that we're going to be reading. And so let's jump in and look at it. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, Jesus says, Judge not that you be not judged. Judge not that you be not judged. Now, some of us may already be a little confused by what I just read because if you're looking at that verse and you may be thinking, Brian, you're saying that it's dumb things for dumb thing for us to believe uh, that Christians shouldn't judge. But it seems like that verse says Jesus is saying, don't judge. I mean, kind of right there. So is Jesus saying don't judge? Well, the biblical answer is no. That's not what Jesus is saying here. You take a verse, you take verse one out of the context of Matthew 7, just pull it right out and let it stand by itself, or you, you use it apart from the rest of the Bible, then yes, you can make it sound like that's what Jesus is saying. But here's what I want you to know about context. Anytime you take a verse out of context, it becomes a con. You can use the Bible, pull a verse out of the Bible, and you can make that verse if you want to, to say anything you want. All right, use it out of context for your own purposes. And if you can't figure out how to do that, sometimes you can just pull in the rest of the 30 plus translations and find, it to, find a verse that says what you want it to say. So with context in mind and the whole of scripture in mind, how do we know that Jesus is not telling us here that we should never judge? Well, here's one thing we need to remember. Jesus judged. Throughout Jesus' life in the gospel books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we see examples of Jesus teaching that there's a right way to live and a wrong way to live. There, you'll find Jesus claiming that there are things that are absolutely true and things that were absolutely wrong or false. There, you'll find Jesus calling out sins in the lives of people and calling them to a new and better way of living. Let me give you a little, a little picture of what I'm talking about. In John chapter 4, Jesus comes to a, the town of Samaria and he engages this woman who's at a, at a well. 
at noontime. Now, why was she there at noontime? Well, um, she was what the Bible calls a, a promiscuous woman. All right. And so she came there at noon because every other woman who would come in the morning, if she came in the morning, they would judge her. They'd probably gossip about her. They, everybody in town knew this woman's junk. And so she comes at noon to basically avoid all of that. And Jesus in, engages her at the well. He goes to the well to get something to drink. And he basically breaks all kinds of social rules to engage her in this conversation. And it doesn't take long for the topic of her sin to come up. And when it comes up, Jesus doesn't say to her, well, listen, hey, it's really fine if you want to live however you want to live. You do what makes you happy. As long as no one's getting hurt, who am I to judge you? That's not what Jesus says at all to her. Instead, he calls her sin for what it is, and then he calls her away from her sin to the truth that will ultimately set her free and change her life. Now, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to see that Jesus couldn't make a call like that without without first judging this woman. So if Jesus is not condemning, judging in Matthew 7, 1, even though it appears he is, then what is he condemning? Because he's obviously condemning something, right? Well, he's condemning a certain type of judging. Here's the easiest way to think about it. Jesus is not saying to us as his followers, don't call sin, sin. Don't call truth, truth. You and I actually have a responsibility to make judgment calls each and every day as Christians on the issues of sin and truth. Matter of fact, it's a responsibility. What Jesus is condemning here is not making judgment calls. He is condemning being judgmental, all right, being judgmental. Now, there's a huge difference between making judgment calls and being judgmental. Being judgmental means that you treat other people with unnecessary harshment or anger. It means that you elevate yourself above others and act as if their sin is somehow bigger than your sin. Being judgmental means that you declare other people guilty before God, even though it's not your place to do so. Being judgmental is honestly a a dangerous position to assume. Anytime that you play God over other people's lives, you not only dishonor God, but you bring damage to, to, to the lives of other people in the process. So with that being said, the question we need to answer this morning is how do we make how do we make judgment calls without being judgmental? How do we judge like Jesus? How do we call sin what it is? How do we call truth, truth without destroying one another in the process? Well, and I want to I give you six ways to judge correctly. Six ways to judge correctly. Six ways to judge without being judgmental. How do we judge like Jesus? Well, first of all, you have to judge the right way. You have to judge the right way. You say, how do we do this? Well, we do this by only judging according to what God has clearly spoken on. Now, a lot of Christians get this wrong. Christians don't typically argue, we don't argue a lot over black and white issues. I mean, we look at black and white issues because they're black and white, and we just you know, go, that's pretty clear, we're not going to argue about those stuff. What, what we, what, this is kind of the stuff that we argue with non-Christians over, the black and white issues. The issues that Christians will, will go to war over are, is the fringe stuff. It's the stuff that, that, that appears to be the obscure things in Scripture or, or the stuff that seems to land in the gray areas of their faith. Christians will literally attack each other over stuff that God has not clearly spoken on and they will use certain verses to validate their argument. Now let me give you a little example of what I'm talking about. 1 Corinthians 6.19. Put that verse up there if you will. There it is. It says, Paul says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you, are, whom you have from God, he says, you're not your own. Now, I want you to understand 
why this verse is there. When Paul first wrote that verse, he was writing to the Corinthian church to, to, prohibit, to prohibit the men in the church from having sex with temple prostitutes. Paul Richardson and I were in Corinth in, in, uh, in, in January and Literally, they talked about, you could see where the temple used to be. And the guide actually said, this is where the temple prostitutes used to hang out. Now get this, temple prostitutes, again, they would hang out around the temple and they would sell their services to church-going men. And uh, I'm not, I'm going to go out on a limb for a moment and assume that no one at Westridge is sleeping around with temple prostitutes. That's what, but, but that's what Paul is specifically addressing here. Well, you may be thinking, well, how do I apply that verse to my life? Because I'm not sleeping with temple prostitutes or prostitutes. Well, because this verse contains such a strong biblical principle, we have to decide or decipher, and with God's help and wisdom, how do I apply this to my personal life? Because it may be different for you than someone else. Well, I've heard people, and I've heard people use this verse before to maybe back up why they don't drink, why they don't smoke. I've heard people use this verse to back up why they, they don't eat meat and why they're a vegan because I'm watching over my temple, or why they go to the gym six days a week, all right? I've heard people say that this verse means that they don't get tattoos or piercing because I don't want to desecrate my temple. And then other people get tattoos and piercing because they want to decorate the temple. They want to spruce the temple up a little bit, okay? Here's, here's the point. When it comes to a verse like this, there's room for differing applications. Now, please hear me. When you miss this truth, that's when things go off the rail. When you start judging other people for not applying a verse like this to their life, like you apply it to, like, to, to your life, you move from making a judgment call to being judgmental. You move into the area of legalism. You move into the arena of adding to God's word. Judgmental people are kind of like the Pharisees of, of Jesus' day, the religious zealots who cared the least about the things that God cared the most about and cared the most about the things that God cared the least about. And this is dangerous. This is a dangerous thing. We have to judge by the right things. All right, that's number one. How do we judge without being judgmental? Number two, judge other people as you would want to be judged. Now, this is the point that Jesus is actually making in verse two. He says, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now, Jesus is reminding us here of what the Bible teaches through and through, that there's, there's, there's coming a day when every one of us in this room will stand before God and we will receive judgment. And on that day, God will either judge us with mercy or he's going to judge us with justice. The question is, which would you rather receive, mercy or justice? And I think all of us in the room would just say, mercy, give me mercy, you know. Nobody wants to go to that judgment and face God's justice. Matter of fact, no one likes justice unless it's being applied to someone else. All right, like we want justice for them, just not for me. The next question is, does your judgment of other people line up with how you want God to judge you? And that's a big question. It's a question that matters because Jesus taught in verse two, however you judge other people, that's what's coming for you. If you judge other people harshly and angrily, that very well be could the measure by which God judges you. If you judge others with mercy and kindness, count on God judging you with mercy and kindness. Now, let me call a little time out here. And let me make sure that you understand what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is not teaching that you can earn the mercy of God by first showing mercy to other people. That's not what's going on here. That, that's, that's not the gospel, matter of fact. Here's what he's saying. 
He's saying on the day of judgment, it's only those who have received mercy from God through Jesus Christ in their life, in this life, that will be judged with mercy. Those who have rejected Jesus with, the, you know, with their decision, I reject Jesus, then they're going to be judged with justice. If you want to know what category you're going to fall into, look at your life and examine how you're judging other people. Are you judging with mercy or justice? See, because here's what I've learned. It's the people who understand their deep need for mercy, the mercy of God, that are usually willing to give mercy away freely to other people. These are the people that know the depths of their sin and they know the price that Jesus paid to cover their sins. They they realize that their sin is no different than anybody else's sin, that they realize that we're all in the same boat. We all have a desperate need for God's mercy. And because that's true, they'll give away that same mercy to other people that God has given them. On the other hand, people that only extend justice, they prove that they have no concept of their need for God's mercy. They, they elevate themselves above other, other people. They treat other people as if their sin is somehow more significant than their own sin and they pronounce on others the same judgment that could be facing them one day. So here's what you do. You judge as you want to be judged. And then the third thing, how do we judge without being judgmental? You judge yourself before you judge others. In other words, you go first. And here's what Jesus says in Matthew 7, 3. He says, why do you see that speck, the speck that is in your brother's eyes, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, then, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Now, what's going on here? Well, here's, here's the picture. Imagine that tomorrow morning... And I know it's Memorial Day weekend, but let's pretend that doctor's offices are actually going to be open tomorrow. Imagine that tomorrow morning you go to the eye doctor because you've been out today. Let's say you're weed eating out today. You're just getting the house ready for everyone to come over to celebrate Memorial Day. And you're weed eating without goggles. And you get to this piece of, you get get to like a piece of wood or mulch in, in your eye. Just shoots up in your eye. And you go to the eye doctor and while you're sitting there waiting for him, in walks the doctor, and in, in, you're looking at this doctor, you realize that sticking out of the front of his face is a giant two-by-four. All right, now listen, are you going to let that guy touch you? No, no, no. You're going to say to him, hey, doc, I don't want to make this awkward, but you've got a log. You've got a giant piece of wood sticking out of your face like it's really, really big. All right, so, but before you go worrying about this little speck that's in my eye, how about you worry about getting that giant piece of wood out of the front of your face? All right, that's the picture Jesus is giving here, as funny as that sounds. It's the picture that reminds us that our sin is always a bigger deal than what we think it might be. Think about this. What does Jesus, what does Jesus call your sin? He calls it a log, calls it a giant wood sticking out of your face. So why do we as people oftentimes see other people's sin as the log and we see our own sin as the speck? And you may be thinking, you know what, Brian, I, I know, you may be you know, a lady here and you think, I, I know that I participate you know, in a little gossip from time to time, but at least I'm not like my girl over there who lies and you know, cheats people out of their money. Or you may be a guy and you're sitting there thinking, well, you know, Brian, I, I, look at a, you know, I, look from, I look a little porn from time to time, but at least I'm not like my boy over there who, who just sleeps around with different girls every chance he gets. 
Or if you're married, you know, I know my marriage isn't what, it, what God wants it to be. You know, I know I refuse to love God the way that he wants me to love my wife or I refuse to love my husband the way that God wants me to love him. But can we talk about the bigger issues? Can we talk about the bigger sins like homosexuality? Because let's talk about that. Let's don't talk about my marriage and what I'm doing in my marriage. Let's talk about, tra- how about the transgender issue that's going on in the world today? Isn't it crazy that we will compare our sin to other people's sin to make ourselves feel better about our sin? Listen, that's a dangerous thing to do. As long as you, you, as long as you find ways to make yourself feel better about your own sin instead of dealing with your own sin and putting your own sin to death by the power of the Holy Spirit that lives inside of you, you will spend all of your time judging other people for their sin. You will be like that person that Jesus is describing who has a big log sticking out of their face who's trying to get the speck out of someone else's eye. And Jesus' point again is this, before you worry about someone else's sin, Worry about your own sin. Judge the issues in your own life before you worry about the sins in someone else's life. Now, that doesn't mean that you have to be perfect, all right? It doesn't mean you have to be perfect to make a judgment call on sin and truth. None of us are perfect, right? Christianity is not about perfection. It's about progress. But if you have a closet full of sin that you've you've not dealt with, you know, some issue that has you by the throat, Jesus is teaching that it would be in your best interest to shut your mouth and to deal with your own sin before pointing out the sins of others. In other, in other words, until you deal with or remove your own sin, you actually cannot see clearly enough to help anyone else. So start with you. And then the fourth thing, how do we judge without being judgmental? We need to judge with gentleness and care. Now Galatians chapter 6 verse 1, the Apostle Paul is again talking here, writing. And he says, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watching yourself lest you be tempted. Now, why do we handle judging others and confronting others gently? How how do we do that? Paul tells us in this verse that the end game on making judgment calls on sin and truth should should always involve restoration. That's the end game. Anytime that we come to somebody and we're, you know, we make a judgment, we make a judgment call, the goal is always to restore them back to the faith. You don't make judgment calls to prove that you're right. That's spiritual immaturity. You don't make judgment calls for the sake of making someone pay for their sin. That's not your place. It's always God's place to make those decisions. We make judgment calls in order to, to see people restored spiritually back to God, which always requires us to judge gently with care. So here's how I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you anytime that you have to confront someone about some sin in their life or, or someone who's struggling in the faith, you don't go in with guns blazing. You don't go in with, you know, I'm going to make my point. I'm going to tell it like it is. I'm going to walk out. I'm going to drop the mic on the floor, walk out, and let the chips fall where they may. No, no, no. You start by seeking God in prayer. You ask God to give you a gentle spirit. Proverbs 15.1 says a gentle answer. Gentle words do what? They turn away wrath. When you go into a conversation with someone over their sin or their mistakes or, or have to confront something, don't let things turn into an argument. Don't, don't condemn that person for their sin. Remember, the goal is restoration. And if you will keep that in mind, it will always be, it will, it will be much easier to maintain that gentle spirit that is needed. Now, the next point, point number four, 
may seem to contradict what I just said. So with, let me do my best to explain why it doesn't. Number five, judge accordingly and aggressively when required. Now, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul gives a picture of what it looks like to judge accordingly, aggressively when required. And his words, they line up with the, with the teaching of Jesus. In 2 Corinthians 5, it says, I wrote to you, Paul says, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all meaning the sexually immoral of, the, of, of this world. Now, what, what does that mean? Paul's saying, I didn't write to you to tell you to avoid people in the world or to stop engaging people that are unbelievers. People that are greedy, swindlers, or idolaters. Since then, you would need to go out of the world. But now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother. Now, Paul's talking about a fellow Christian here, someone who claims to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And Paul says, when that kind of person falls into sin, don't associate with them. Now, let me, I'm going to talk more about that in just a moment. He says, don't associate with the person that is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or an idolater or a reviler, a a drunkard or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. And then he says this, purge the evil person from among you. Now, that's a tough word, isn't it? That's a tough word from Paul. But Paul's making two points here that I I want to bring out. First of all, as Christians, we should judge insiders differently than we do outsiders. Now, this is a point that we get wrong so often today, especially as Christians. We, we, We get this one wrong. Instead of holding our brothers and sisters in Christ, those who know Christ accountable to our shared Christian values and beliefs, we spend our time holding non Christians. In the, who are in the world, we hold them accountable to our Christian values and belief. And Paul is saying, God will judge the people outside the faith. That's not your job. Now think, think about this for just a moment. How angry do we get sometimes watching things on TV? I mean, you turn on Fox News, CNN, I don't care what it is, whatever channel it is. We start watching non-Christians do what they're doing, saying what they're saying, and we get fired up, don't we? I mean, we start judging them, and we, 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 we want, because why? We want non-Christians to act like Christians. We want to hold them, we want to hold our distinct Christian beliefs and standards, and we can't understand why they don't seem to get it. Can I tell you why they don't get it? They don't know Jesus. They don't have the Holy Spirit in their life. It's the Holy Spirit of God that has changed us, that has shaped shaped us, that has molded us, and is now at work in conforming us to the image of Jesus. That's not happening in the life of a lost person. We can't expect them to understand the things of God because there's no Holy Spirit, and we certainly can't expect them to act like Christians. Why? Because there's no Holy Spirit. He's not there. So here's what we need to understand as we're sitting there getting all fired up, judging everybody in the world. Lost people act like lost people. All right? People that don't know Jesus are going to live like people that don't know Jesus. We shouldn't be surprised. Lost people are rarely ever going to side with you on any of the hot button topics in culture. But how can we, I mean, we can't expect them to because the Bible says they're spiritually blind, they're lost in darkness. 
So we can get angry, we can, we can boycott, we can hold rallies, we can picket this and that, but that, that's not going to make any of them come to church. And, and it's, it's not going to make Christianity more attractive. It's not going to make it more attractive to outsiders. So what's it going to take? We have to stop being less judgmental and more loving. We have to stop being so angry and frustrated with the world and start being more loving. We have to start looking at this situation that we're facing in front of us. Every time we turn on the TV and we start getting fired up, we have to start looking at it through spiritual eyes. We have to be a light that shines people out of darkness. That's why Jesus calls us in this very same sermon several weeks ago to be salt and light. It's not our job to judge people outside the walls of this church who are not Christians. That's God's job. But it is our job to love and care about their lostness. And we can't do that if we're always angry with them. Okay? Lost people are going to act like lost people. And we shouldn't be surprised by that. Now, am I saying that we shouldn't speak up for truth and we shouldn't speak against sin when it comes time to? Absolutely not. I've already said that we have a responsibility to, to make judgment calls on sin and truth. What I'm saying is we can't judge outsiders like insiders. When it comes to outsiders, we love, we show grace, we build relationships all for the purpose of helping them to come back to Jesus, to, 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 to find their way to truth. And we leave the judging up to God. Now, some of you aren't going to like what I'm about to say next, but I need to explain what else Paul's talking about here in the scripture. He says, at times, insiders will need to be judged aggressively. In other words, if someone claims to be a brother but yet they persist in unrepentant sin. This is that person that, that when confronted over and over and over with, sin, you know, with their sin, they say, listen, I don't care that it's wrong. I'm gonna keep doing it. And Paul says, disassociate with that person. Now, those are hard words. He actually says, purge the evil person from among you. And some of you are going, man, I don't like that. I don't really like it either, but it's in here. And it's aggressive, isn't it? You say, you may be thinking, well, that doesn't, that doesn't sound very loving. Well, can I tell you that when an unbeliever in Christ is persisting in unrepentance, in unrepentant sin after being confronted over and over and over again, it, it may be one of the most loving things we could do for both them and the church. Think about this. If you were to go to a doctor and he told you you had cancer, what would you want that doctor to do? What, you, you'd want that, that doctor to be aggressive, wouldn't you? Because when cancer goes untreated, it just spreads quickly and it causes major, major destruction. In some places, it causes, sometimes it causes death. And sin is like that. When someone is caught in unrepentant sin and their sin is not dealt with, their sin spreads quickly and it causes major destruction, not only in his or her life, but in the life of the church they belong to. Now, understand this. What Paul is talking about here is instructions for the local church. But remember... When we make a judgment call like this, we do it with gentleness and care. And what's the end game? Restoration. Restoration. The goal is never, ever to destroy a person, but to destroy the sin that's inside of them. The hope is that they will come back and repent and receive the love and grace and be restored to fellowship. And finally, how do we judge without being judgmental? Number six, judge when to speak and judge when to stay silent. Now, this is a tough one for some of you out here. Jesus starts talking here in verse six about dogs and pigs. It's kind of a weird transition, but let's see if I can explain it. He says, do not give dogs what is holy. Do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Now here's the picture. 
Imagine that you're standing in front of this group of angry pigs or angry dogs and you have something of great value in your hands like pearls. And you throw them to the ground with hopes of distracting the animals and they start to eat them thinking it's food and they realize it's not and they say, wait a minute, this guy's tricked us. This isn't food. And they turn on you and tear you up. That's Jesus's point. He says, the message we carry as followers of Jesus Christ is of great value. There's not a more valuable message, not a more valuable thing that we hold within our possession than the gospel message. That the world, that the the God of the universe would become a man, he would leave heaven, he would die in our place for our sins to save us from death and, 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 and hell. I mean, there's no better news. And Jesus is saying, not everyone is gonna see it that way. Not, not everyone are going to see the gospel as good news. Matter of fact, some people are going to respond to it in a cruel manner. Some people are going to be vicious. Some people are going to be angry towards the gospel. They may even attack you over the gospel. And Jesus is saying at times, depending on the situation and depending on the person, it's just better to keep your mouth shut. And that's a tough one, isn't it? It's a tough one for some people. There are some folks that want to jump into every argument, every fight all the time. If someone is on social media and they're attacking the gospel, they're attacking the church, I mean, you find, you, you, you cannot help but engage. And Jesus is saying, don't cast your pearls before swine. Don't cast what is holy before dogs. Now, how can I avoid this? Well, Jesus is our example. There were times in the Gospels he would literally walk away from someone who all they wanted to do was just be irate and banter. And you know, folks, I mean, you, there's folks that you're going you're gonna to deal with, whether it's real life or on social media, which I guess is real life. And you, you're going to just have those moments where you go, it doesn't matter what I say to them, all they want to do is banter with me. You know what? What Jesus, what he, would he do? He'd just shake the dust off of his sandals and he would leave and go to the next town if they rejected him. There were times when the Pharisees or religious leaders of the day would get in Jesus' face and they'd want to argue with him. And Jesus would just stand there and he'd just take it. He wouldn't, have, he, he wouldn't take their bait. He just, they were attacking him. I mean, they were getting ready to start hitting him and all. And he just sat there silent, refusing to engage. And at the same time, he remained patient and calm with doubters and skeptics. And he continued to offer irrefutable evidence that he was actually the son of God. And then there were other times that he actually engaged and left religious, just let the religious leaders have it. Now here's the question. How can we know when to speak and when to stay silent? How can we learn to judge like Jesus? You gotta ask God for discernment. Before you confront someone about their sin, you have to ask God for wisdom. Lord, should I, should I engage this issue or stay silent? Before you confront someone, should I engage or should I be sent? Before, you, before I post this on Facebook or on Twitter, is this better left unsaid? Is this going to cost me two or three hours just defending myself, waste of my day? Ask God for discernment. He promises to give it to you generously. And then trust in God's sovereignty. Let me free you up a little bit today, okay? You cannot change anyone's life. You just can't. You're not the Holy Spirit. You cannot convict of sin. You can't change a heart. That's the Holy Spirit's job. Listen, right now, what the world needs more than ever is not more Christians yelling and screaming at people. What the world needs to see is that Christianity actually works in our lives. It actually works in the lives of those who claim to know Jesus. And so let's put Christ on display in our lives and then people may actually listen to us. And then finally, love and pray for your enemies. Instead of talking about your enemies or 
you know, talking about how difficult they are, what if we just started praying for them? What if we prayed and trusted the sovereignty of God? We trust that in those moments when we're dealing with a difficult person and we're watching things around us seem to unravel, we just go, God, I know you're in control. We trust that he is hearing our prayers and moving. We trust that God is powerful and able to change someone's life even when we know we're not. We pray and leave the rest up to God and you realize you're not the Holy Spirit. You can't change a life, but you're gonna pray and love those around you until God opens up their heart. Now, as we close, I wanna close with just a simple quote from a Christian author and philosopher, Dallas Willard. He says, one of the hardest things in the world is to be right and not hurt other people with it. One of the hardest things in the world is to be right and not hurt other people with it. Man, that's so true, isn't it? And that's exactly what Jesus calls us to do. He says, as my followers call sin what it is, declare true what is true and what's not true, what's not true, help people find their way out of sin and darkness and lead them to the truth that will set them free and change their life. But as you're making those judgment calls, don't hurt people in the process. Don't destroy people. It's a tough word, isn't it? But here's the thing we need to understand. As it goes with everything that Jesus has said in this sermon, we cannot do this in our own strength and power. We want to, but we can't. Because I'll tell you what, if you try to, you're gonna get yourself in trouble. All of a sudden you're gonna find yourself in some crazy argument. And next thing you know, you're like, how do I back out of this thing? Because I didn't pray. I didn't go into it, you know, prepared. We need to understand when it comes to judging insiders and outsiders, you can't do it in our own power. We need a savior to help us. We need the Holy Spirit. So here's what I want to do right now. With heads bowed, we're not going to have a closing song uh, here this morning. But I want you to think for a moment about just everything I talked about, just the relationships that are in your life the activity you may have on social media, just your world right now, the people that are in your life. Some of them may be coming over tomorrow for Memorial Day. You're like, whoa, how do I deal with this person who I got to deal with every, you know, every holiday? Just ask yourself a couple questions. You have to judge the right way. You have to judge the, way, you have to judge the right, right way. Let me go over these points again. Judge other people as you would want to be judged. Judge yourself before you judge others. Judge with gentleness and care. Judge accordingly and aggressively when required. And judge when to speak and when to stay silent. As you think about those six things right now, okay, where do you need God's help? Where, where is that place that you, you go, Lord, here's the area where I need help. Here's the area where I just need you to engage and help me. Here's the person. Here's the thing. Here's the, you know, the activity. Lord, where I just, I need to learn how to look at the world, look at the people that are in my life, look at the, the, my responsibility with the world and, and inside this church and with my Christian friends and non-Christian friends. How do I engage? How do I look at the world through spiritual eyes? How do I, how do I engage like Jesus? Calling sin, sin, truth, truth, but with gentleness and care, with always the goal in mind of restoring someone else always the mind of leading people to Christ. Lord, hoping to make Christianity look attractive. Lord, use me in that way today, would you? If you're here today and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ to be your savior and you realize today that maybe the log in your own eye is the fact that up till this moment you've rejected Jesus to be your savior. I wanna give you an opportunity just to pray with me right now to get that right, get that straight. And you may say, just pray with me. Say, Lord, at this very moment, 
I put my faith and trust in you alone. I ask you to be my savior. I ask you to rescue me from my sin. I ask Jesus Christ to be my savior and Lord. I receive his free gift of salvation. I put all my hope and and, and my trust in that alone to get me, Lord, not only into a relationship with you, but into heaven in the next life. And so, Lord, I repent of my sins and I ask Jesus Christ to be my savior and Lord.